You're listening to Diversity Matters, a podcast about raising awareness and education through thought-provoking discussion, opinions, experiences, and inspirational stories from the complex world of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Here's your host, Mike Seeley. Welcome to another episode of the Diversity Matters podcast show, where we explore the world of diversity and inclusion, sharing stories and insights that highlight the importance of embracing differences and fostering a sense of belonging. My guest this week is Dom Petransic, who is a highly respected colleague of mine. With a fashion career spanning over 25 years, Don is currently Vice President of Experiences and Education at Informer Markets Fashion, and his role includes bringing advanced ideas and education to life. In addition to his day job, Don is the US lead for the company's LGBTQIA plus colleague run network, as well as the fashion lead for the group's sustainability efforts, where he focuses his work on the social aspect of sustainability. When not at work, Don enjoys regular ballet classes, which he has taken for over 35 years. Don, welcome to Diversity Matters. Mike, thank you so much for inviting me and for reading those kind words that I wrote about myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to know who you are, which is, which is great. But Don, listen, um, obviously you've had quite a lengthy career in, in the fashion industry. Tell me how it all started. Tell me a little bit about growing up in the U.S. and you know, schooling, et cetera, and, and how you got into the fashion uh, business. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to share that story. And we'll start just by thanking you for, one, inviting me, and two, for creating space for people to share stories so that they can be uh, heard and received and considered uh, by the rest, whether it's colleagues within the company we work for or people outside of uh, the company's four walls. Because to be seen and to be heard is to be able to be considered. And mm-hmm. that's a big, that's a pretty big deal in our lives. We want to be heard and we want to be considered. So um, I will start by saying, you know, my, my career really is the, the base of my career really is experiences, education, um, and events and conferences. That's the base of it. And it happened to focus on a couple of different areas uh, throughout my career and most recently over the last decade plus in fashion. But let's go back in time to Little Don. And uh, so I did, I did grow up in a suburb of Chicago, a south suburb of Chicago. Um, and it was a working class, conservative, Polish, Catholic uh, town, city. And I think all of those pieces are important to know in, in the story because they inform a person growing up. All of these yeah. items that are in place, um, working class, Polish, Catholic, conservative, these are all things that uh, create a foundation for someone's identity and they see what's around them. So uh, that was all I knew. But at the same time, I thought and felt that there's more or something different or something Mm -hmm. other. And uh, I think it was less of a, of a, 
like snubbing my nose at what I where I'm from or where what I came to be taught and more of a curiosity about other things and and the rest of the world. And, you know, luckily we had television, film, music, all of those influences, magazines, paper magazines at the time, (laughs) back in the old days, (laughs) you know, uh, yes, pre-sustainable times. Um, and those were the the things that really that I really responded to. I don't know, probably escape, um, leaving one's own situation, whether uh, they're having a good time or a bad time. I think like when you're young, I'll make a general observation. When you're young, you just want to you want to explore. You there's this curiosity, so you go other places, and that's part of being young. You play, yeah. you fantasize, you role play, all of this. So I just. Uh, I escaped in in television and film and music and saw myself more aligning with those types of people, characters, lives, all of that, than what I was living on a day to day basis. And I, I would like scratch my head and wonder what else, you know, can why aren't we doing that kind of stuff? And I think it led to me becoming introverted in a way where I became introspective, I should probably better put, and really like thinking and using my mind as a, as a place for escape. Um, so all of that happening simultaneously with, you know, growing up, going to a private school until high school, and then going into public school in high school. And that I think is really where the, the shift in my experience uh, happened. We went from something very simple, mm-hmm. clothing, and now I'm in fashion. Uh, we wore a uniform every day for eight years. So there was really, there was no decision about what to wear. Yeah. Navy blue pants, white button-down shirt, navy blue tie, and you're off. <laughs> that's, that's the outfit uh, for eight years, every day. So then when you go to a, a, a public uh, school, then all of a sudden the daily question is, what am I going to wear? And while it might have been daunting to my peers, I felt like exuberated. I was rolling up my sleeves wondering, what am I going to wear? What am I going to look like? What's the presentation going to be? And I look back on it now, and that's really where I started using clothing, for an example, as a form of expression, which ultimately ended up being things that I did as a form of expression, such as theater and dance, and then hair as a form of expression, everything like I just I felt like I just needed to show the world Mm -hmm. something. I didn't know I was doing it for any reason or what the impetus was. But I think as I come, as I reflect on it now, um, at this age, I look at it as you know, the inner me trying to come to terms with something that I recognize that wasn't like everyone else. And I was defining it as, well, I just like to do this, or mm-hmm. I just like to present myself this way, or I would rather do these things. And um, all of those were true. And um, as I came to realize in my late teens, early 20s, wasn't until I was in college, um, that I thought, "Mm, I think I might be gay. Because Mm. you grow up in this conservative, Catholic, religious kind of background, and all you know is what's around you. Mm. 
So I, I never felt like I was being forced into any of my like, Oh, I like this girl, or I think this girl is pretty. Like I really did like this girl at that time, or I really did think this girl was genuinely pretty. Um, at that time, but it wasn't until I got outside of that bubble after I left my hometown and went to college that I saw the rest of the world. So, you know, your so houses. Yeah. Just, just based on that, because um, one of the comments you mentioned was in your teens, that's when you thought you were gay. What, what yeah. gave you, what gave you those thoughts and those feelings? Solid question. So I have, Older sister, me, brother, 18 months younger than me, more or less the same age, and then a little sister. So, you know, plus a father and a mother in the house. So everybody's straight. So I'm looking at all them doing their version of their straight life. And I'm honestly, I'm looking and I'm thinking, I'm really just not into this. (laughs) It's not something that I feel like I want to or have to do. And What's interesting, though, who knows? No one from my high school probably ever hear this, but maybe it's because I didn't think, maybe because there were no attractive boys in my (laughs) high school that I was like, I wasn't ever attracted to anyone. And it wasn't until I went to college that I saw a guy who was like, I am having this reaction to seeing this guy. And it was was someone that I had a class with Hmm. in college. And uh, I still wasn't gay or really thought much about gay. I just was like, oh, people made fun of me. They teased me. I mean, you can't, on the podcast, you can't look. I was going to say, look at me. Like, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm small, short stature. I probably read gay, like, from a mile away. And that was just, like, that was just the way I was. I wasn't trying to look a certain way. I just mm. got up and I said, this is this is good. I'm looking in the mirror. This is the way it is. And then people would be like, gay, fag, gay. And uh, that was tough. That was Mm. not easy. Uh, And I wasn't going like, well, because you say I am, I say I'm not. I was just thinking, well, if the other option is you or looking like you, I'm not interested. I honestly like, I think that really also helped me establish my point of view and my sense of self at that time because mm-hmm. i really started thinking thoughtfully thinking okay so assess this if you don't want what you're getting like this bad feedback and you could change this and and acquiesce or acclimate and i'm like um no not into that i'm into this and if you're not in this then yeah. then that's too bad so anyway um in this class I, a friend, this guy was, uh, started being friends with me. And so there's no history of high school. He was college from another wherever. So there's no like baggage of you have a scarlet letter G for gay on you. No, so no one's going to look at me, new person, and then say, you're bad because you're talking to him and we all don't like him because he's gay and we make fun of him. So it was a very like even playing field experience. And it was nice. I'm like, Oh, look, I have a friend. 
And then he'd come to class and we'd be friends and just, and that was it. Come to class, be friends, talk, do our work. And one day he didn't come to class. And I was like, oh, where is he? Like, um, waiting on him, like getting all like, where is he? And honestly, Mike, at that moment, I was, I thought that was my epiphany moment. I thought, hold up. What is, <laughs> why are you so like flustered? that mm. your friend isn't in class. Like, what are you really looking forward to? And if I do recall, he was pretty cute. Um, but he wasn't gay. But I was, am. <laughs> oh, wow. Was so, and am. <laughs> tell me something. Um, of course, one of the things you, you mentioned was obviously the name calling. You are, you know, self-confessed gay man. People know about it. At that particular time, I know it was probably a very tough time and probably still is today, right? In, in yeah. the US around attitudes and, you know, the way people yeah. think and the name calling and the slurs. How did you cope with that? You know, what was your mechanism for trying to deal with a situation like that? Yeah, there's, as a default statement, like anyone would say, it really depends on the situation and the circumstances. But we get, and we get of so many of them, any any person who is in a minority group or considered a minority understands the challenges of having to respond or react or deflect um, any of those things that happen on a regular basis. But I, I think it was... Um, and maybe going back to high school, like maybe the kind of ostracizing that happened to me for four years of high school, uh, which resulted in me needing to have to be comfortable with myself and being with myself on my own, just myself, and kind of finding a, yeah, this is fine. I'm living and I'm nothing bad's happening. So it wasn't fun, I'll tell you, when you are an adolescent and looking to, you know, be a part of a group and not being allowed to be a part of a group. But I think that kind of uh, training, for lack of a better term, that I had during that time allowed me in the ability and the strength, I suppose you could say, to deal with those moments where someone is coming at you or a group is acting against you, um, whether it's one-on-one or um, an entity uh, within either an organization or the public at all, or just the general uh, consensus considered, um, you know, a minor, a majority in some places like, you know, the extreme right um, Mm. these days. So, to to deal with it, I, I think I, I take a step back and I create I start with an assessment of the situation to see. It's a very practical. I mean, that's where my Midwest sensibilities come in uh, to in handy. It's a very practical way. Let's assess the situation. What's going on? Who's saying it? What's their motivation? What will happen? And then also my event planning background. If I do this, here's the outcome. If I do this, here's the outcome. All of these plan A, B, C. A lot going on. That's why this there's so much hair. It's got to fit all of my thoughts in it. <laughs> oh, wow. So it, it's almost like you're, you're constantly having to assess the situations that you're in. 
I think that's so so true, Mike. I, I and I've said this before to other people. It has um, been probably even since like maybe seventh or eighth grade. Like at the end of my grade school years, I became aware that I was becoming a target mm-hmm. of verbal abuse from uh, classmates. Mercifully and thankfully, nothing ever physically came of it. Um, but it, it, the threat of it, I think, was just as as you know impactful as if someone mm-hmm. laid a hand on me. So, um, thankfully, that that did not happen. But the point is, when you feel as though you're a target, or you can confirm or define yourself as that, there is a constant assessment that happens. Every room that I walk into, there's a general assessment to get an idea of what the mood, a tone of the room is based on the people who are sitting there. And it's not that I say you or people in the room, you are making me adjust who I am in order to feel comfortable, but it does make me have those assessments. Mm -hmm. Okay, here are the people in the room. If you act this way, you'll get this response, or they may not be able to take this kind of uh, version of you, or this is what their expectation is. I mean, it's basic um, kind of, for for people who aren't in a minority, it's kind of societal norms. You take a temperature, you don't come full in to a funeral, (laughs) you know, cracking jokes and making whatever, loud noises, and you just act appropriately in uh, the setting in which you are placed. Yeah. And if we come to today, you know, when you assess these situations, particularly in new environments that you go into, do you, do you still see that level of ignorance? Yes. Negative attitude? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say yes so fast because <laughs> at, at, you know, 2023, yeah. uh, and I went to, I went to an event, um, a fashion event, of all things, a couple of a week or so, or so ago, and I decided to, you know, put a spin on a tuxedo. It was a black tie, mm. and I could tell there were old white straight men in that group in the fashion community that were giving me the elevator eyes up and down and up and down, <laughs> and uh, you know, kind of having this facial response. In some cases, I could tell it was just they didn't realize they were having this response. They were like taking it in. In other cases, you know, people are having a physical response so that you take it in. You know, that's the worst thing you could probably do in a situation today with me because, again, assessing the situation, it depends how far I want to go with my response to their response. But um, it, it... it, yes, it's still happening today, and that's the group. It yeah. doesn't. It's not only old, white, straight men, but they are the crux. They're the they're the mm-hmm. bi- they're the biggest group. And you know, my father was an old, white, straight man, and you know, people would always say he that's his generation, and that's what he knew and learned. And I I I can understand that as a starting point. But that yeah. cannot and should not be the ending point. So yes, agree. this is yeah. this is where you are. This is what you were taught. Got it. That's why you did that to me today. So we have to first confirm that what you did wasn't great or acceptable or appropriate. So 
I have to get the other person on the other side of the table to agree to that. And if we can't even get to that part, then there's just no, no work to be done. You know, it's interesting because the first time we met face to face was at a black tie function. (laughs) I I don't know if you remember, we were at the EN Awards last year. It was the first time I met you, and I just loved the way you were dressed. It was different. It was edgy. And I thought, I, I think I like this guy. He's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> Why not? Why uh, can't we all come with our own interpretation yeah, absolutely. Um, of things? Oh, yeah, that's I think great. I had my, my, my sparkle, glitter, lace-up tennies on uh, with my tux. Oh, yeah. uh, and happy to be there. Yeah, it was a fun, that was a fun event. It was, yeah. it was a gorgeous event. Um, mm. Should come back to that. So tell me, mm. what what got you into the into the fashion industry? How did you how did you make that move into this this industry? Um, so when we go back to that, you know, looking for ways to express or just enjoying expression, I always enjoyed expression via clothes. It was just something that I personally loved, even growing up. Even mm. so, I said we wore a uniform, but we. One day a year, we had picture day, which you get to wear whatever you want on picture day. And that was like, I looked forward to that for months. What am I going to wear creating an outfit? The whole bit. I'm not kidding you when I tell you that one picture day, I was so excited to wear the outfit that I was going to wear the next day that I woke up in the middle of the night, put it on and went back to bed in it. It was a, I remember it exactly. It was a brown velvet bow tie <laughs> with a with a like a ruffle like i was really styling it was the mid to late 70s but still <laughs> anyway so yeah so so fashion always played a role mm. and you know i i was and i i say this like tongue in cheek and people probably are like rolling their eyes every time i say it but i think it's fun and i'm it just makes me giggle. I was photo best dressed in high school. So I feel like I need to really keep up that, that rain 40, you know, years later. And then I started in retail and, uh, had a, had a great love of connection to fashion while I just personally loved fashion at all. And then I didn't see a direct connection between what I like to do, which was the event meeting and, and that kind of stuff and fashion that hadn't made its way to connecting for me. So I, I pursued a career in event experiences, education in the corporate world. And I will tell you that through those years, those early years, people would say, you're the best dressed one here. And I kept mm-hmm. getting these like indicators, <laughs> like messages, like, There's you know, snip there. it out. And as a, um, after the kind of crumble of the 2008-2009 issues we had here in the U.S., I was um, unemployed for a while and I was working with an agency for placement. And they sent me to the then Advanced Star Group, um, which is where I started the career that I'm still in. And it was really the coming together of what I do well in a professional environment and what I love the subject matter, which is fashion. And so it really was a no brainer at that point. So um, now almost 12 years 
later here at this company doing this work, I, I couldn't be happier. And the work that I get to do on top of the, the day job mm-hmm. where someone's like, oh, you mean extra work? You, <laughs> yes, <laughs> extra work. And, and it honestly, not to sound like that guy that you're like, you I roll your eyes and you're like, could you just cut his mic? But I love the extra work that I do. It, it doesn't deplete me. I'm not going to say it completes me. Even, oh, I just did. But it <laughs> it uh, it gives me energy, like it fuels yeah. me, and that's how so, we work together. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting because the extra work you do, you're referring obviously to kind of leading the CRN uh, mm-hmm. team, Soul Informer mm-hmm. Rainbow, and yeah. now the uh, Informer Markets. I am proud. How has that gone? You know, has it helped to? certainly helped other colleagues it helped to create that safe space for colleagues to come uh, together and share their experiences what what have you seen have you seen any changes as a result of uh, of the CRM uh, the changes I have seen as a result of the CRNs uh, you know continually being legitimized and expanded and uh, kind of marketed and made presence, their presence, our presence made known to the company is that there is a better understanding, uh, a recognizing of the group, the rainbow group, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's, in my opinion, from where I'm sitting and the, the experiences that I've had, it makes, I have had what has felt like people being allowed to feel comfortable uh, asking a question or you know raising their hand about something, or just uh, saying something to indicate to me that they are either a member of the community or an ally. And these are the things that some minorities and certainly people who are not a minority don't have to deal with in their life. Mike, as, as a man of color, you did not have to come out as a man yeah. of color, mm-hmm. you had to walk out of your <laughs> door obvious. and there it is. <laughs> There's no hiding yeah. it. So um, the, that's not to be said about the LGBTQIA yeah. plus community or even allies um, because someone can be a secret ally. Like they want, mm. they have friends or family or they just have it in their heart that they want to, that they're supportive, but they might be in a community of their own peers, you know, cisgendered, mm-hmm. straight uh, peers that don't feel yeah. that way. So they they could be a closeted ally. And I feel that sometimes um, when someone comes to me and said, you know, I like your pin if I'm wearing my, my ri- mm-hmm. AIDS ribbon or something rainbow. And I could just tell that that little thing makes me happy, proud, seen, yeah. Um, and you know, I don't wear it so that that happens, but when it happens, it's outstanding. So back to here, yes, those things happen here. And I think that when the company allows for these CRNs to exist and create conversations, uh, with their like groups, uh, to groups that aren't like them, it's only a positive uh, and kind of mentally healthy experience yeah. to be had. Great. So are we beginning to create that 
real and true culture of inclusion and a sense of belonging. Because I think that's that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm really passionate about all of our colleagues, regardless of who you are and yeah. what you do. Yeah. Yep. That you can feel that sense of belonging when you come to work. Now, certain different groups, it may be a, a little bit more challenging than others, but I'm just wondering, is it getting easier for the rainbow community in the workplace? And not just when I talk about the workplace, I also talk in the <clears throat> in the businesses that, that you work in also, or is there still a long way to go? <clears throat> Uh, I, I want to be optimistic about it. And, you know, being a gay man of a certain age, I can look at the history behind and see how much has been accomplished. And for that, I am grateful. So at the same time, we are seeing things uh, that still need to be done. But in a worst case scenario, things that have been done that are being undone that now need to be redone. Mm-hmm. So that, um, is more work, but it also creates a concern and a fear that if A was done and now is undone, does that mean B is next and C is next? Everything that had been so hard fought for for decades, established, agreed upon, accepted, now is, you know, it's like you're pedaling a bike up a up a hill that has a slight incline, and now the incline is just getting more steep. And I don't want the bicycle to go back. We've got to either, you know, work those thighs or get people to push <laughs> the bike. But we cannot go, we cannot go backward. And that is that's what we're seeing in the general population here in the U.S. And the concern and the problem, potential problem, is that when it becomes a what what people could uh, not correctly say is a majority thought process mm-hmm. because it's not a majority thought process. But when people start to hear it, hear it, hear it, it goes from public into corporate. Well, you know, our company cannot do this now because the general public does not. That's what allowed for the great changes within companies to happen over the last couple mm-hmm. of decades. Companies saw what the general public had the appetite for and were interested in and accepted and therefore needed to, in some cases genuinely wanted to, adjust the way they did business and the way they treated their employees because, you know, to quote an old 80s song, we're not going to take it. But um, now now we've got some challenges. So I'm up, I recognize the work that has been done I see the good work that we're still doing, which is great. But um, my eye is not off of what yeah. could very easily be undone. Yeah, still a long way to go, and we still have to keep moving forward, I guess. It, yeah, and, and yeah. it's the work, and hopefully it's like it's not the, it's not the where you get to. It's a journey. It's not the end. It's, the, it's how you get there and the work that yeah. you do uh, to get there. You know, it's just I'm – I'm interested in the subject matter at all. I'm interested in the equity of it all. I'm interested in making sure that people feel and are seen, received, appreciated, not overlooked because there was a time where it either was the truth or I felt it was the truth or a combination of both for me. 
And I, I don't, if I can participate in something so that doesn't happen to others, I mm-hmm. want to participate. And the one thing that you said, Mike, about community made me think, you know, the sense of community and belonging, and it's so important. And these are words that we've been using for the last couple of years um, as they relate to CRNs, but I think it just as it relates to the yeah. human being population at all. I went to a, um, a conference a week or a couple of months ago um, where they were talking about it. What is it? The NFTs and the multiverse and all of these other, mm-hmm. you know, places where people are going and ultimately will go to, you know, enjoy themselves and live their life and uh, as entertainment. But they were talking about in those verses, creating a sense of community in those verses. And I thought, is, is it ironic or what is the word when we decide to uh, consciously remove ourselves from our physical communities to go somewhere digitally to look for a community <laughs> to hang out with digitally? Like, that's a lot of work where you could just say, oh, maybe I'll go to a bar or maybe I'll go to the park or maybe I'll, you know, we're, why, why are you doing it real time? Yeah, meet just, real people. Yeah. They're like, oh, we, we we're really, we're really interested in creating this sense of community, uh, you know, in the multiverse. And I'm thinking, can we work on it IRL first? And then if there's still a need, a desire for it to happen there, um, then we go there. I don't know. That that's stuck out. It's almost like trying to create the experience without the reality of, you know, meeting people for real. (laughs) I think that that's it too, Mike. I think that we have become so uh, conditioned to uh, orchestrating mm. experiences so that they are there's no room for error or surprise. Uh, this will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen. And if I can anticipate these things as I set them out, then I will agree to it versus... Versus, remember the old days when the phone on the wall rang and you just picked it up without even yeah. knowing who's on the there other side? Go. Like, that is like one of the things that I think about. Like, we we look at this phone and we see a name and we're yeah. like, yes or no. We decide, like, I know what kind of experience I'm going to have when Sheila calls me or, you know, whatever. But when that phone rang, it was like, who's behind the call? Yeah. Like, and there was a there was a there was a race to get to that phone first to answer it. <laughs> to see to see yeah. who's it going to be. Like yeah. th- that was a very minuscule example of like mm. the element of surprise that we don't have yeah. in in our lives that we don't want to have yeah. in our lives anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Now, uh, <laughs> tell me something. One of the things I mentioned at, at the beginning was. The fact that you regularly enjoy ballet classes and you have done for for many years, yeah. Tell me a little bit about about that. What got you into that, and is that a form of release for you? Yeah, you know, I went uh, in my freshman year in high school. I was in a musical, and uh, I hadn't had any formal dance training, and. Uh, the choreographer, I'll use air quotes because she really was just someone who got suckered into putting yeah. movement to music. Anyway, uh, she was 
giving us choreo. And she said, oh, you are such a great dancer. In my mind, I'm thinking, yes, I know. <laughs> and then she said, you should, this is even worse. She said, you should, uh, do you take class anywhere? And I said, no. She said, well, you should take class at this studio in, you know, in the, our city. And I thought, um, I know how to dance. Someone doesn't need to teach me how to dance. That's how far away from the reality of what I knew and what I needed to know about dance. So that actually, she planted that seed freshman year and the summer before my senior year, I don't know, a divine intervention, something happened that compelled me to walk to that studio and sign up for my first class. And, uh, it was a it was a modern and jazz class in the summer of eighty four. So this is thirty nine years. I, I have to make it to the summer of twenty twenty four to say I did forty years. Yes, forty years. Um, yeah, forty. So uh, I went to that studio, and you know it's physical, it's athletic, and what what I didn't realize until I got older, like anyone who does anything full out, like a like a sport or like yoga mm-hmm. or whatever needs your total concentration it is that as that's a bit of an escape which i didn't go there thinking mm-hmm. i was escaping but you know i walk into that ballet class and right at 6:45 and class starts in in the evening i don't think about anything but class mm-hmm. until the class ends at 8:15 cuz you're focused on that and you're really working mind body and trying to get everything together and so anything that you might have, I might have come into the studio with before the class, 99.9 times, it will have dissipated. Yeah. Um, and it, I, it will either have left my mind or I will have concluded it's not as bad as I made it out to be or the frustrations have left me or have put me in a better place to deal with it. But it is that escape. It is that mind-body uh, relationship and release. Um, and it it has served me so, so well over the last 39 years. That um, Amazing. And it's love that I have. Yeah, it's a love that I have for it, for sure. That's great. Um, listen, we are we're coming up to the end of the show. Oh, One of the things I want to ask you is, hey, we are in Pride Month. Tell me, how do you celebrate Pride? What do you do? Pride Month is something um, amazing for everyone in the community, uh, whether you're a member of the community or an ally, that um, we get to celebrate as we think is best for us. In some cases, it is making sure we are at the parade or the march, and depending on what city, it's called a parade or a march, and or it is showing off our our rainbow colors. It's, Mm -hmm. it's being an advocate for the community and volunteering. For me, I definitely pay attention to the physical pride celebrations. And in New York, it's a March. So I'm actually, I'm, I'm lucky this year because I'm going to be able to attend the New York March, uh, the morning of June 25th. And then the night of June 25th, I'm getting on a red eye to London, where we're going to be at an offsite. And then that following Saturday is Pride in London. So I get to march in that parade with my uh, 
my rainbow leads um, as well as other London colleagues. Mm-hmm. So I feel I find great joy in in that participation, whether I'm marching in a per, in a march or I'm I'm the recipient of that. It is a it's the time where we can reflect on all of the various emotions connected to pride. Mm-hmm. Some people are are melancholy or have a sad moment because they think of those that have been lost for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons. Other people are angry because they see the injustices that are still being done today. Yeah. Other people are happy and joyful because they're just there for the moment and celebrating what it is that we have today currently, which is amazing. And then another, you know, so many groups, but another one that really stands out are the the new pride attendees. And they don't have to be like the 21, 22 year olds. They could be a woman who came out at 60. Mm-hmm. And this is my first pride. Or they could be a grandmother at 65 and say, I'm here with my grandson or granddaughter who raised his or her hand to say, I want to go to this because it's because I like it. And I want to be there. Yeah. Just being with community. So back to community, IRL community. I'm going to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Celebrating that way. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, Don, listen, I really want to thank you for sharing your story, your experiences, you know, your career to date, how you, I guess, navigated this complex world as a, as a gay, as a gay person. I'm sure it'll be inspiration to a lot of people listening. Um, but I wish you every success. I love everything that you're, you're doing both in the fashion business and, and also your extra work that you, you do. <laughs> um, long may it continue. And, you know, I, I fully support everything you're, you're doing. I have so much respect and love for you that, um, this is, this is great. So thank you. So I, much I love hearing time. that. Thank you. You know, it is a, it is a, organizations like this that allow people like me who have an interest and a passion and a desire to contribute to contribute. So we have to say hats off to Stephen Carter and Mm. everyone on the leadership team that think enough and know enough to recognize the importance of this. And then the work that you and your contemporaries across the business are doing to make sure that it continues. So um, I'm appreciative of all of that. Happy to be there here. And listen, I, I don't get paid by the word. You would think I did with everything that I have to say today. But if you ever need a part two of this or want to go down any other crazy path, um, I have stories I can share. Oh, well, we will do that. <laughs> That's great. But anyway, listen, I look forward to also seeing you in London when you're there yeah. as well. So it'll be great. Anyway. Thank you very much, Don. Take care. Speak to you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye for now. Bye. listening to this episode of diversity matters if you liked what you heard then be sure to hit like and subscribe and we'll see you next time 